It is inevitable this time of year that nostalgia creeps into my life and perhaps yours as well. The cool weather has something to do with it. Haven't you enjoyed that this week? It really is beautiful, a sign that fall is here. And if you've been observant, you will notice that the tint of the leaves on the trees has begun to change already. I've noticed that even here at the church. And with this nostalgia that seems to come, I begin to remember and reflect on 30 years ago. For some reason, I think it has a lot to do with when our girls, our daughters were little and they were hanging around the house and their presence was so profoundly a part of our lives now they have grown and gone and they have children of their own but uh, and they're still very much a part of our lives but there is something about that precious territory in my mind of when they were little themselves and also I find myself reverting back 60 years ago when I was a child myself does this happen to you so that This seasonal change brings me back to that time when I was small and I was enjoying the season of Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know, that season of life that sort of ushers in these family experiences. Um, It's interesting that when I have these nostalgic feelings that usually that in the midst of that, there is a moment of sadness for me and melancholy. Um, There's a happiness to it, but then there also is a feeling of loss that that's no longer present. In fact, in my mind, I suppose that I'm valuing that so much that I'm not able to see very clearly what is happening and how God is blessing today. Isn't that a sad place to be? to be so focused on something else that we're not able to see how God is present for us today or what God might be doing. Uh, Parker Palmer, uh, I read recently, wrote these wonderful words as he was reflecting. What does nature do in autumn? She scatters the seeds that will bring new growth in the spring. And she scatters them with amazing abandon. On the surface, it seems that life is lessening. But silently and lavishly, the seeds of new life are always being sown. Autumn constantly reminds me that my daily dyings are necessary precursors to new life. I love this. This reflection by Parker Palmer is amazingly insightful about what we perceive in autumn to be this dying of life. And he says, no, this is the seeding of life to come. This season calls for an awareness of life and awareness of death as well. This season calls us to be aware. 
I remember when our girls were little that we would kneel down beside the bed at night with them and pray. And we used many different prayers, but one of those was an old go-to. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. Um, if I should die, and I, we rephrased that, um, or somebody did, because we were uncomfortable with that statement. <laughs> if I should die before I wake. That was just too severe in our minds to hold on to. And so it became a part of our saying and our teaching guide me safely through the night and wake me with the morning light. Death is not an option when you look into the precious eyes of two-year-olds and three-year-olds and four-year-olds. We don't want to acknowledge that as being a part of life. Although Solomon's name is not mentioned as the author of Ecclesiastes, It seems most obvious that he must have been the one who had these words recorded. This chapter, this first chapter, begins with the words, the words of the teacher. And so we know that the teacher is not writing this himself, or at least it doesn't appear that, that he's got somebody who is a scribe for him and taking down the words or remembering the words, the words of the teacher the son of David, there's another clue, king in Jerusalem, another clue. And so in tradition, this has got to be solemn, especially, especially when the teacher begins to refer to his connection and the gift of wisdom that is a part of his reflection on life. This great teacher, though, he is stuck in a mental and spiritual fog. Have you picked up on that? Perhaps you have been there before yourself, maybe on a road traveling down the way, early in the morning when the fog has been apart and you think to yourself, when is this going to lift? When will I be able to see clearly? Or it may be that metaphorically, That fog has been a part of your way of living for a long time now because of events that have occurred that have left you confused and absolutely frustrated as to how to get a good view of where you are headed or where all of this is headed for that matter. This world can be a very confusing place to be. It can be disorienting and even scary if we allow it to be. This psychic fog that seems to embed itself in our lives is filled with this longing to simply see more clearly what is there. Grant Wood's painting of the elderly Iowa farm couple. You know this one, don't you? (laughs) It is called American Gothic. 
And, and it has been mocked and it has been parodied in so many ways. If you haven't seen what people have done with it, I encourage you to Google that this afternoon sometime and you'll see the many different images. I've seen uh, this painting where they've actually switched the head of the woman and put it on the man and the man on the woman there. I've also seen um, some of our presidents and first ladies who have been put there in, those, uh, in that painting. And it, it's interesting what, what people have come up with to do with this painting. And we laugh at it. In fact, just looking at the reality of this, of this painting, um, of this elderly Iowa farm couple, we laugh at it. But the other part of this is that as we look at it, some of us surely know that we are in that picture too. And that's what Grant Wood, I think, was getting at, is that finally, in gazing long enough at this picture, we would not only begin to see them, but we would begin to see ourselves in them. It is the haunting of us, really, that their life is our life. Solomon's wisdom spooks me and makes me uneasy. It is realism. To a fault, it is realism. Sue and I enjoy reading sound off in the Statesboro Herald. Do, do you all join us with that? I don't know if you've discovered it just inside the... Uh, the, uh, on the second page, there's a little column there on the left-hand side that is called Sound Off. And I understand that, uh, that you call in. And I guess that somehow there is, is uh, someone that transposes those calls and, uh, and puts them down in print. Uh, but it's never good enough for us simply to read Sound Off. We have to read it to each other to get the full effect. And so Sue says, have you read Sound Off? I said, no, read it to me. And so she reads me Sound Off. And uh, what is so fascinating about Sound Off is that there are, there are many people, and I wonder how many regulars there are <laughs> with Sound Off, but because there, there are some that have such a bitter state of mind. If you haven't read Sound Off, you need to get this, Okay. Because there is, there is a sense in which sound off is this grand place to complain and to get, get it off of your heart, get it out there in the public, what you feel about the world around you. And it's, it does its work. We smile at some and grimace at some. This book of Ecclesiastes, it might interest you, has a beleaguered history. Um, in fact, this book, it was, my understanding at least, that it was contested. Um, I guess much like the book of, of James was contested in the New Testament. This book was contested as to whether it would make it into the Scripture. Now, you may be saying to yourself, but it did make it in, and so it is Scripture. But 
only by the skin of its teeth did it make it in. Because it leaves such a strange and mysterious feeling about what he might be saying. It is existential to the nth degree. It reveals truth, but only a certain form of truth. Although Solomon was this wise king that many ventured to hear and to understand and to to see at work within Israel, there obviously, by way of this scripture that we are reading this morning, there is a sadness to what he is saying. The first chapter is a window through which we might glimpse Solomon's soul. The word in English translation here, vanity of vanities, says the teacher. The Hebrew word hebel. Hebel is translated in some of your Bibles, meaninglessness. Some of your Bible may have the word absurdity because that really gets at the heart of the Hebrew. That all of life is absurd. That's what Solomon is saying to us in this first chapter. Vanity of vanity, absurdity of absurdity, says the teacher. All is absurdity. And then he goes on to reflect, why is it that people would work so hard? What do they have to gain? All of this toil, and he enters another phrase that's used throughout the book, under the sun. Everything that happens under the sun, day in and day out, nothing changes. It's always the same. All of this wearisome work we pour ourselves into all of our lives, day in and day out. Some of you have particularly perhaps met that, that monotonous work. I have on my mind right now those who do factory work. Some of you may have done that. If you have, my condolences are with you. It is difficult work. I have not done a whole lot of factory work. I did work at Sunnyland Meatpacking Company when I was in college. It was a summer job. I worked it long enough to know I did not want to do that all of my life, taking little bits of sandwich meat and putting that meat into a plastic container and then watching it go through the machine and be sealed up for then the delivery to the grocery stores is important work. I like bologna. I do. I really like bologna. Now, don't, don't bring me a whole lot of bologna, okay? But it is not something that claims me. In fact, I began to lose myself in the midst of the monotony of that work. 
Until I realized that there were people around me that had been working there for 20 or 30 years. With that same motion, placing this there. You see what Solomon is saying, don't you? Is that everything we do is placing this there. This there. Even in those places where we think that we are so freed, there are still the habits and the monotony of getting it done, placing this there. This is something that afflicts both the rich, of which he was, and the poor. Solomon, this son of David and Bathsheba, and goodness, <laughs> I wonder when he learned about that story as a child growing up in that household. Don't you wonder how it might have affected his spirit and his outlook on life? And Solomon becoming the heir of David's throne, but at the expense of his having to finally kill one of his brothers in order to sustain that monarchy. I tell you, the Bible carries some interesting stories. And he asked God for wisdom and knowledge, Solomon did. And Solomon, as he bared his heart to God at that moment of new beginning, God was so impressed with what he was asking for that God said, not only will it be wisdom and knowledge that you will receive, but also riches and wealth and power within the world and honor among peoples of many nations. And we know the story of how rich he became. His alliances with all of the countries in the Middle East were far beyond what any had ever witnessed in his day. But his alliances being his success were also finally his failure. The generations come and go. And I, I love this painting. I, I love this painting. The four generations that are marked there, with the child and the mother, the grandmother, the great-grandmother. You may have some pictures, some photos in your own family of the generations that are a part of you. The thing that is so desperate here about what Solomon is saying to me is encased in that 11th verse when he says the people of long ago are not remembered nor will they there nor will there be any remembrance of people yet to come i want to say to you that that is not a good state of mind when you have finally given yourself up to the desperation 
that no one is going to remember a thing about who you are or who you ever were. Nor is anyone going to pay attention to the generations in your family that come after you. That is a despairing place to be. I remember that song by Sarah McLaughlin. I will remember you. You remember that one? And then she asked the question, will you remember me? In just a few days, our church will be celebrating All Saints Day. And we will have candles up here. And in remembrance of all of those that have passed in this year, we will light a candle and remember their lives very intentionally taking on the sacred act of remembering. But Solomon is saying, it doesn't matter how hard you try. The world is going to forget that you ever were here. And so vanity of vanity, absurdity of absurdities, what good is any of it? The truth is that we fade into obscurity and he says this is a chasing after the wind I want to submit to you that if you haven't already figured it out that Solomon is not the last word on this subject that you and I look to Jesus who is the perfecter of understanding and wisdom and truth. And here I pit his words against the despair of Solomon. As when Jesus began his ministry and was preaching, made reference even to Solomon, knowing full well what Solomon had communicated Jesus said, and why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. You remember those words, don't you? Was Jesus trying to tell us that Solomon didn't have all the answers? I think so. And over in the 12th chapter, listen to this 42nd verse. Do you remember the Queen of Sheba? Uh, when we were children, I remember if somebody really dressed up to go to church, we would say it was like the Queen of Sheba coming to town. You remember the Queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon. And Jesus refers to this. He says, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation. Now, he was referring to the scribes and the Pharisees who had just asked him for a sign, for a sign that he was the son of God. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to listen to the wisdom of Solomon and see something greater than Solomon 
is here. Jesus was saying, you got to pay attention to these things. Even though people put a bumper sticker on their car that says that they understand completely what the Bible says. And that we need to get with the program. It requires a deeper understanding to make the connection with certain passages. Life is more than hebel. Life is more than fog. Life is more than chasing after the wind. And here on this World Communion Sunday, on this day, this day that was birthed in 1936 as a World Communion Sunday by name, but was birthed 2,000 years ago by our dear Lord and Savior, is a global celebration that the church is in most every culture that we could ever conceive. And today, this is an invitation to this place of grace, to Christ's wisdom, which precedes and follows every wisdom that could come from this world. And in fact, his wisdom that gives definition to our greatest understandings. This wisdom of Christ, this wisdom of dying and rising, which is a part of this very sacrament of Holy Communion.